0: You're listening to Radio Luke's and I'm your host, Steve Matthews. Thanks for joining me for episode 84. The title of this episode is Russia Dumps the Dollar. So welcome back to the weekly live stream for Radio Luke's It's great to have everybody here today. Um, Got a bunch of different things to talk about this week. It seems like, you know, there's so much going on it can be almost overwhelming. You've got all these streams of information, these major stories going on, and it can be a little bit difficult sometimes to isolate and to kind of focus on some of the things that are important. And that's one of the the things that I try to accomplish when I do these these podcasts and do a, a review talking a little bit about some of the news from the week. That is, I, I try to focus on some of the things that are important and maybe some things that, that sometimes people... Uh, maybe we tend to overlook. So we're going to go over some of that. And the lead, lead item I wanted to talk about today is Russia dumps the dollar. But before I get to all that, I, I had to say this, that, you know, I, I saw this, this post by a friend of mine on, on Facebook today. And he said, he had this picture of his, his sneakers, his shoes, and they, they were kind of grass-stained. And he said, opening day, and and I, and I knew of course immediately what he was talking about he was talking about opening day for yard work now it's kind of interesting that he said that because of course it was the same thing for me this was my first day going out and doing anything in the yard first time in the spring and I guess now we've got what another six or seven months of this stuff ahead of me ahead of me um, and uh, I you know I, I kind of have a, a bit of a love-hate relationship with yard work I mean sometimes it can be kind of nice, you know, I mean, I spend most of my time at my job sitting in front of a computer screen. And it's kind of nice sometimes just to get out, get out there and in the the sun and the wind and the elements and this kind of thing and, and do some some work, you know, whether it's mowing or trimming or weeding or whatever. Sometimes it can be kind of fun. And sometimes it can be like, you know, I'd rather be doing anything else other than this. Uh, this was the first time out today. So it it was all kind of fresh and new here for, uh, for 2022. Of course, I know I'm going to be sort of more, I think I was out there. Gosh, I was probably over three hours today just doing stuff. Now. I mean, it doesn't take that long every week, but some, you know, when you're first getting started, you gotta, uh, all the startup stuff that you have to do. So it was a little bit longer today than, than probably what it normally will be. So anyway, yes, this is opening day for for yard work uh for the 2022 season. So, I'm sure that uh, there'd be uh plenty more hours uh of uh of work between now and whenever we shut things down probably sometime in in uh I guess November or so. Anyway, enough of that stuff. So, I wanted to talk a little bit about today about Russia dumping the dollar. Now, this is to start off with this is a really important headline and I think that It's probably one that is easy to miss. You know, it's one of these things, it's financial stuff. And so many times people, they just, you know, they they don't want to hear about things like this. But this is a really important story, and I want to draw your attention to it. And it's got a headline here. It says, Putin signs decree ordering gas exports to be halted if buyers don't pay in rubles. Now, this is from Thursday, March the 31st. And I'll read a little bit of it here, and then we'll comment on it. Let's see. Uh, Contrary to expectations, Vladimir Putin was bluffing about collecting rubles in exchange for Russian energy exports moments ago. A decree signed by the Russian president confirmed that was not the case. According to Bloomberg, Putin said he'd signed a decree demanding payment in rubles for Russian gas supplies, which is set to begin April 1st. As previously reported. According to the decree, while Russia continue to supply gas at set volumes and prices, it will demand that buyers of gas open accounts in Russian banks and warn that Moscow can halt gas contracts if buyers don't pay in rubles. Additionally, new proceedings in Euros or dollars could be blocked, pushing what many view as a bluff to the edge. Putin said that active contracts would be halted if demands are not met, and explained the move is meant to increase settlements in national currencies. So this is a really big deal. Now, as part of this whole war in in Ukraine, the United States kicked Russia out of its uh, out of what's called the SWIFT system, which is a messaging system that banks in different countries all over the world use to settle payments. And they made it impossible for Russia to use the SWIFT system. And what this made what this effectively did is it cut Russian banks off from being able to transfer payments in and out of Russia to banks, you know, out, you know, from Russia to banks outside of Russia or to receive payments from banks outside of Russia, um, inside of Russia. Essentially it, it, it isolated them. It's kind of like, if you think about the Swift system is kind of like a bridge. What they did is they, they blew up all the bridges connecting the rest of the world's financial system with, with Russia, or at least substantially did this anyway. So, Russia is, is saying, well, you know, what we're going to do is we're going to require anybody who wants to come pay for our gas. Uh, in, in the, and Russia is the, the biggest supplier of natural gas to, to Western Europe. And they, the, this is actually piped in uh, from Russia to Western Europe. And, and Russia is saying, OK, going forward, you're going to have to pay us in rubles. And I've, in fact, I, I think somewhere else, I don't know if this article goes into it or not, I think there was some discussion that they would also accept gold as payment, which is also pretty, uh, a pretty important uh, thing. So they're not going to accept euros and they're not going to accept dollars. They, they will accept rubles. So what this does, th- this is a really significant thing, and this is not the only example of this going on. I think I discussed a few weeks back where China and, and uh now, Saudi Arabia were discussing settling, uh, setting up a situation where China could buy oil from Saudi Arabia using the Chinese national currency, which is the yuan. Right now, they have something that's called a petrodollar. And, and if China wants to buy oil from from Saudi Arabia, they have to take their, their national currency, the yuan. They have to convert it into dollars. And then they have to use those dollars then to, to buy the oil. Well, they're talking about cutting out the U.S. dollar altogether for oil purchases and, and just buying directly using their own currency. Russia's doing something very similar here, where they're cutting out foreign currencies. You know, they say, we're not going to accept euros anymore. We're not going to accept US dollars. We're only going to accept rubles for the, uh, for, for our gas. And, and of course, and, and it's not just gas either. Russia, it, Russia's, uh, you know, of course, is a very large land area and they are a, uh, a supplier of a lot of, Uh, what we call commodities, different kinds of commodities, things that are very important. Uh, Fertilizer, for example, is one of them. Uh, Russia is a huge supplier of fertilizer. And apparently the, the price of fertilizer is skyrocketing right now for farmers because Russian fertilizer is not available on the world market. What all of this does when Russia says we're not going to accept US dollars, when Saudi Arabia says, well, we don't, we're not going to require US dollars anymore, what that does is it decreases the the demand for dollars worldwide. And what that means is if there's less demand for dollars, those dollars are going to tend to be worth less. Not worthless. Although they may be eventually be worthless, but I mean, worth less than what they are right now. And when when a currency, any currency, loses value, the users of that currency experience it as rising prices. So, as Russia is is accepting fewer dollars. We're not accepting any dollars anymore. If Saudi Arabia gets to the point where they are not accepting as many U.S. dollars, there's going to be less demand for U.S. dollars. That means the value of U.S. dollars is going to tend to go down. And what that means is as Americans, we could be looking at substantially rising prices. Now, notice I didn't say inflation. I didn't say we're going to get a lot of inflation. I said we're going to get rising prices. Inflation and rising prices are not the same thing, although that's usually the way they're reported in the press. And I've talked about this before, and it's probably worth mentioning this again. Inflation is the abnormal growth in the supply of money. So it's the, inflation is what the Federal Reserve does. They create all of these dollars. That's the inflation. They create massive amounts of currency. And the result of that massive amount of currency creation by the Federal Reserve is rising prices. You know, we had the inflation report came out. You know, again, I'm I'm using the, the popular term inflation. What is really was a report on rising prices is called the consumer price index. And if my memory serves, that came out in March for February. It was a few weeks ago. And it came out in March, I think it was maybe a couple of weeks ago reporting on the February right the february consumer price index and they said that the prices increased from february 2021 to february 22 2022 by about 8% i think it was maybe even over 8% and then they came out with the producer price index now the consumer price index supposedly measures how fast prices are going up for people like you and me you know like when you go to the grocery store or you go buy something at at lowes or or walmart or, or go online something like this That's how fast the, the prices for the, the goods and services that, that you and I would use. Now, the producer price index, of course, as you might get from the name, that measures how fast prices are going up for businesses. So when businesses, you know, do business to business kind of sales, you know, maybe buy raw materials or buy goods wholesale, things like this, you know, it's how fast the, the, the prices are rising for businesses. And those actually even going up faster than on the consumer level. And there's a lot of things going on right now that are are driving all of these rapid price increases. You've got massive amounts of money printing by the Fed. That's the inflation. You have the destruction. I would say the deliberate destruction of our economy and our supply chains by the the Biden regime, and and by by other governments through things such as you know the the COVID lockdowns, for example, or for instance Joe Biden. Uh, shutting down the uh, the construction of the XL pipeline his very first day in in office he signed that that executive order doing that and also making it very hard if not downright impossible to uh, I, I guess drill on uh, drill for oil on federal lands these types of things so he's deliberately constricting supply deliberately by his actions so you know there's another thing um you know, and these supply chains are broken. You know, it's kind of interesting. Um, uh, I've, you know, you, how, how many times have you tried to go out and buy something fairly simple and found that you can't get it at the store? I mean, I think we've probably all experienced that over the past year or two years. Well, I mean, that's because, the, you know, all of the businesses have been shuttered, again, through things such as, as lockdowns or various regulations and you know, some of the stuff that the, the Biden regime is doing. They're making it very difficult for business, businesses to function. And in fact, you know when we talk about you know rising say uh, fuel prices, for example, I mean it seems to me it's almost as if the uh, the powers that be, you know these these great resetters, these kinds of globalists out there, I think they're trying to drive the price of a fuel up of gasoline up in order maybe to uh, to make the electric cars that they all want to foist on us more attractive. Uh, that seems to be the uh, what's uh, what one of the things that they're doing. So anyway, this whole thing going on with, with uh, the loss of the dollar's reserve currency status, that's another big driver of rising prices. And that's something that could be huge. I, in fact, I saw an article. I, I don't have it here in front of me. Maybe I, maybe I should have saved it here or, or brought it up uh, when I was getting ready for the show here. But the, uh, there was a, an article that I saw this past week where they were talking about massive, massive food inflation. And in fact, let me see if I can find that because it was it was actually pretty striking. Let's see here. Yeah, that's not what I want there. Let's try this again here. try something else. Yeah. I don't know I know that it's in here somewhere, but I'm not going to be able to find it right now. I see there's a story there of talking about rents up 40% in some cities. That was from back in January. So yeah, there's, there's all kinds of stories in the news about massive amount of inflation. But this one particular article, one I was thinking about looking for, we're trying to find it was talking about, um, prices for food going up, particularly beef or meat, I should say, by huge percentages. In fact, if, if memory serves me correctly, I think they were talking about possibly chicken going up by some ridiculous thing like 40%. And they're talking here about in the next few months. So this is the kind of stuff that we have coming. And, you know, it's it's one of the the things that we need to know about as Christians, because you know, there's that that verse, and I go back to this again, It's, it's from Proverbs, and it says, you know, the prudent man foresees trouble coming and hides himself, but the foolish pass on and is punished. So as, as Christians, I mean, our job is, is to do two things. I mean, we need to foresee, you know, we need to be able to apply the scriptures, you know, and we can tell when we're being, we need to be able to to have good discernment. You know, we need to be able to tell when we're being hoaxed, when we're being lied to. When public officials are doing things that are not in the interest of the nation, uh, that are not constitutional, that are not biblical, Um and of course, we've got lots and lots of examples of that sort of thing going on. We need to be able to see that, and then we need to be able to take effective action to hide ourselves. So there's two things we need to do: we need to we need to foresee trouble coming, and we got a lot of trouble coming uh, from the Biden regime, and and we need to hide ourselves. We need to use wisdom to find ways in advance to to try to cushion the blow from some of this stuff that's coming because it's going to come. I I don't see how there's any way that we're going to be able to avoid a massive devaluation of the U.S. dollar. And you and I need to get ready for that. That's something that's very important. Don't get caught one day going to the store and saying, oh my gosh, you know, chicken's gone up by 40% from what it was last week. Don't be that person. Don't be that person. So anyway, um, you know, there was another, uh, something else I wanted to, to mention here too, is there was a, uh, maybe I've mentioned this before, but I wanted to say it again. There's a, a YouTube channel that I've come to like here over the last, oh, I don't know, year or so. It's called The Economic Ninja. And the the fellow that does it, I, I don't know his name. He just calls himself The Economic Ninja. But but he's he's really good at, he does a video pretty much every day. And not only does he do frequent videos, he does them, they're fairly short videos. They're typically 8 to 10 minutes or so tops. And, and what he'll do is he'll talk about, um, various things that affect all of us in terms of, uh, you know, money, economics, uh, entrepreneurship, these kinds of things. And he does a really good job talking about complex subjects, like say, all the stuff going on with Russia and, and putting it in very uh, terms that are easy for, for people to understand. So he's not trying to wow you with all of his knowledge. He's actually really good on camera, and I've I've found that uh, his videos are, are really uh, really quite good at uh, explaining some things that maybe you know maybe not all of us are are experts in international finance and things like this. And he'll talk about things such as the what's going on with Russia and and their rejection of the dollar, and, and talk about it in a way that is makes things clear and i think also gives you gives the viewer the opportunity to um uh, to to apply those sorts of things to his life so clarifies the subject and, and he also, you know, offers some good applications. So I, I would recommend that channel. I, I know I subscribe to it and I, I watch it pretty much every day and there's a lot of good stuff on there. So if you wanted to find a channel, you know, Hey, you know, where can I, where can I go and learn something about money? Well, I think that's a good example of that. So I highly recommend it. Again, it's the, uh, the economic ninja. Now, the next thing that I wanted to talk about here, let's see if I can get this where it needs to be. Yeah. I wanted to talk about. I wanted to talk a bit about uh, immigration, one of my favorite topics. And that's something, of course, we've discussed on this program, something I've written quite a bit about. And here's a, a headline. This is from Fox News. Oh, goodness. When was this? Uh, sometime here within the last few days. Oh, it was March 31st. So I guess that was on, on Thursday. But the headline here, it reads, Bill Malugin, dropping of Title 42 policy will bring absolute chaos at the southern border. So what's Title 42? Well, Title 42, what that was is it was a uh, something put on during the Trump administration. It was basically the, a uh, a tool that was used, a legislative tool that was used to summarily deport uh, migrants who showed up at the southern border, illegal aliens is really the correct term, illegal aliens who showed up Who were ill? In that case, it was it was having to do with COVID, and they would if they. I I think what it was, and and I I haven't. I'm going by memory here, but I believe what happened is if if people tested positive, they showed up with a disease, they were summarily deported, which is of course what what should have been done. But uh, the uh, but the Biden the Biden regime wants to get rid of that now, and let's uh, let's read through this a little bit here. Uh, It says. Malugin reported on the policy change of dropping Title 42, you know, what it would mean for the border saying, quote, but as I'm sure you've heard, they're talking about dropping Title 42, which is going to be absolute chaos down here at the border. DHS, that's the Department of Homeland Security, says if it drops, their projections are they need to prepare for upwards of 18,000 illegal crossings every single day. And just to put that in perspective right uh, for you about how catastrophic that would be. Right now, it's about 7,000 illegal crossings a day, and everything is over capacity and everything is overwhelmed. So you're talking about more than doubling, uh, of, title, uh, doubling of Title 42 drops. Now, I mean, of course, you know what this is, in my opinion. It's simply the deliberate takedown of the United States, or at least attempt to take down the United States. Uh, this is a a disaster, and it's made 100% by the Biden regime. Um, you know, this is something that's disastrous for the country, but I guess it's good. You know, I, I think there there may be a number of, of things that are, are uh, driving this. I think certainly one of them, maybe, I think probably the biggest one, is, is Biden is simply carrying out the policies of his father in the Vatican. Of course, I'm talking about Antichrist Pope Francis. You know, that, uh, that's, th- this is this is the Pope's immigration policy in action. Flood the nation with millions and millions and millions of immigrants. No, it's not not immigrants. Illegal aliens. That's what this is. They're flooding the country with illegal aliens. And, and it's not just that. They're going to stick the American people with the tab for this stuff. And this is an absolute outrage. And this is something that's being carried out, again, in accordance with, uh, with the Pope, with, with the Pope's approach to, to immigration. And, of course, why does the Pope want mass illegal immigration? Well, because what that does is it tends to weaken nation states. And weakening nation states is one of the prime directives of the Vatican, because of course the Vatican is globalist. This is—it's not just the Pope's immigration policy here. This is not just any christ immigration policy. What this is, maybe even to—to to make it a little bit more explicit too, is that it is a globalist immigration policy. In going back, you know, I've talked some about the, the Westphalian world order. The Westphalian world order is what created the modern world. It came out of the the, uh, the Peace of Westphalia, which settled the Thirty Years' War in 1648. And what it did is it it set up a system of nation states. All of which were, so so the highest level of government in the Westphalian system, which is the system that we still have today, by the way, the highest level of government is national government. There's no supranational government. There's no regional government. There's no world government. There's national governments, and those national in those national governments, of course, they're free to to interact with one another and to, uh, if they need to, to make treaties with one another. These types of things, but there's no party that stands over top of national governments, because of course. That's exactly the system that existed during the middle ages under the popes. You know, under the system of Antichrist. All of the nations of Europe, they were vassals to the pope. And of course, this is something that the the Roman Catholic Church wants to bring back. And they're very open about that. You know, when I talk about the the globalist ambitions of the Roman Catholic Church, sometimes I think people think, "Oh, you know, well, that's just conspiracy theory." Well, no, it it's not. In in fact, I mean, you can go into papal documents, and you can find all over the place how these people cheerlead for world government. They love one world government. Yeah, they love the idea of globalism. They love the idea of the the great reset. And of course, as a as a son of Rome and as an attendee of a Jesuit church, I mean, Joe Biden is hastening to carry out uh, carry out this uh, this vision that uh, that we have from the Vatican. And, of course, it's it's very destructive to the United States of America. It is unchristian. It is immoral. It is unconstitutional. Uh, you have the, the Biden regime. I mean, they are shirking their, their most basic duty, that is to f- carry out and enforce the laws of the United States of America. And they refuse to do it. I mean, this is an impeachable offense. And yeah it's kind of interesting there are there are some uh, Democrats that are going around they seem to be scared to death of this whole thing i just yeah i mean they, they well they should be- they should be scared of it i I don't know i mean i i hope i mean it's it's my prayer that the Democrats are punished and punished very severely in the fall elections and the congressional elections. I don't know it should be interesting to see what happens uh it definitely will be um you know, are they going to try to pull some election shenanigans like they did in 2020? Well, maybe. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to. Uh, because that's just how they roll. You know, that's that's what they do. That's, that's how the Democrats do things. Because, and I've said this before, you know, the Democrats are the party of rum, Romanism, and rebellion. That's what they are. They can't not be that. Yeah, they are the political home of the Roman Catholic Church in the United States of America. And the Roman Catholic Church is in league with the devil. You know, and that's why you get these kinds of destructive policies whenever you have Roman Catholics get their hands on the levers of power in a nation. This is the kind of stuff that you get. I mean, and, and Joe Biden is the Biden regime. They are working double overtime to destroy this country as fast as they possibly can. And, you know, of course, you're seeing that at, at the southern border. And it looks like we're going to get that even uh, even more so here within the uh, I think it's sometime in May when that Title 42 is supposed to go away. So I don't know. There's still some time between now and when that actually goes into effect. So, you know, who knows? Maybe maybe, you know, if we pray about it and uh, contact our senators, contact our representatives, maybe something can change. I don't know. Uh, but I think it certainly is is something that as as Christians as uh, as Americans that we need to be very concerned about this. This is a big deal, and one of the things that happens so oftentimes, you know, we've you know we went from COVID, COVID, COVID to Ukraine, 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 and, and one of the big problems, one of the things, it's a problem for you and me. It's a strategy, I think, for the people that want to implement this stuff is they just flood flood us all with with so much uh, information that that we get lost. It's like, look over here, over here, 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 there. You know, and our heads are spinning around 360 degrees. And of course, over the past month, a little bit over a month now, it's been all the focuses on the Ukraine war. There's been very little discussion about COVID. And there's been very little discussion about immigration. All those things have been suppressed and have been subordinated to everything going on in Ukraine. And so when you have a big story like like, say, Ukraine going on, that's a great time. For these dishonored dishonorable and dishonest, dastardly Democrats. <laughs> it's not just Democrats either. Uh there they are dishonest Republicans uh, and people that you cannot trust in the Republican Party. But uh, let's just say these these dishonest politicians, prelates, and and what have you, it gives them a wonderful opportunity to push forward with a lot of their evil schemes while everybody's eyes are focused on something else. And unfortunately that's, that's the way so often uh, things go. So that's uh, that's what's going on with immigration. Let's see if I had anything else on here. Oh, um, there is one thing here. And just, you know, since we were talking some about, about the Pope, about the papal antichrist, here's a a story with a headline. I apologize. It looks like the video dropped out on my, uh, on my live stream again. I've been having a lot of problems with that here recently, but anyway, we'll keep going. Uh, it's got a headline here. It says refugee drama to dominate Pope's weekend trip to Malta. And, uh, Pope Francis, I guess is in Malta here this weekend. And let's see if we read through here, I guess there's all these refugees going on with the, uh, as a result of the, uh, the war in Ukraine. And uh, there's a quote in here that I wanted to find it's just, it's so very typical of, of the kinds of things that uh, that the, the Pope says, okay, here we go. In a telephone interview, uh, this uh, one fellow, he, he was talking about Francis, he says, he expected Francis to raise the migration issue, I mean, that's why he was in Malta, not least because of the welcome Malta showed the Apostle Paul when he was shipwrecked off Malta around AD 60 en route to Rome. According to the biblical account, uh, Maltese people showed Paul unusual kindness. The type of welcome Francis has said he hoped to be extended to all migrants okay so the uh, the Bible did does comment and it's in uh, I think the account of that is in uh, Acts chapter 27 and 28 and it does talk about the the people of the island of Malta when you know they they shipwrecked on Malta you know the uh, the ship with Paul and I guess there are a hundred or so other people at least on the ship and when they shipwrecked there, it talks about you know these people you know, greeted them, you know, showed them great kindness. Now, here, here's a, a few things about it. First of all, it was a, a shipwreck with maybe about 100 people on it or so. And secondly, if you go on and you you read the rest of the account there in Acts, after three months they all left. But what ends up happening with these, these migrant flows, the Vatican pushes these into countries. You know, the, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, you can see this kind of thing carrying out this Vatican policy. Whenever people are brought into this country, the U.S. Conference of Catholic, Catholic Bishops fights tooth and nail against the removal of even a single person. You see them put out these these press releases where they whine about the removal of temporary protected status for various people. There was one group, um, temporary protected status. What that is? It's a a special status in the United States where if and i think it has to do mostly with natural disasters so if if there's some extraordinary circumstance that happens maybe typically a natural disaster maybe it doesn't have to be just a natural disaster but say like a hurricane or something like that destroys a country um they will allow people uh, foreign you know, nationals of that country to remain in the united states and i guess if people come here from that country you know they they can come here and and stay the idea is they can stay until such time as they're ready to go back well there are some groups that have been here over 20 years, you know, from hurricanes and various other earthquakes and various other kinds of disasters, and they're still here. And every time the it, it's brought up to uh, to revoke the status, of the temporary protected status, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops screams bloody murder. And fights tooth and nail for the removal of even one of these people. And it's ridiculous. That whole entire program should be done away with. It's just become abusive. And it becomes a, another excuse for dumping costs on the American people. It's become a fraud. And I think the only thing I think to do is just get rid of it. And that's unfortunate. But, I mean, it's, it's, it's the things have gotten to the point where it, it's just it, it is an abuse of the American people, of, uh, of their kindness. And it needs to stop. I've, I've just, I've, frankly, I've just had it with the whole thing. So um, next thing I wanted to talk about is Hungary. Now I've, I've talked a little bit about Hungary from time to time here, and I wanted to to bring this up again because the, uh, there's a big election in Hungary tomorrow, I guess, for um, the, uh, the federal government. And I, I guess the, it's going to be a case of, you know, will, will Victor Orban, Managed to remain in control of, of Hungary, and this is something that is of, of interest to Christians because of who Victor Orban is. And I wanted to find that story. I thought that I did. Well, I I, I guess I didn't uh, didn't save it. But there was there's a a story that was put out a few years ago that talks about, and it talked about Victor Orban being the world's most powerful Calvinist, which is true. I, I think that that is, I, I can't think of any other Cal, uh, any other head of state that's an, that's openly a uh, Calvinist. And he seems to be, Victor Orban does, I, he seems to be a true believer, not someone who just says that in uh, uh, a nominal Christian, but he, he seems to actually be a Christian. I mean, I, I don't know him. I'm just using my own judgment, my own observation uh, of him from afar. He is a Calvinist. He's a member of, the, I think it's Hungarian Reformed Church uh, or something like that. But uh, he's going to be up, uh, I guess he or at least his party, uh, is, I guess there's going to be the, the national elections are, are tomorrow on, on April the 3rd. And of course, there are a lot of people that hope he loses. I mean, the entire globalist community hopes he loses because Viktor Orban stands up for Hungarians. Viktor Orban actually conducts the business of Hungary f- with the, uh, the legitimate uh, best interest of the Hungarian people in mind. And of course, this is incredibly offensive to all of the, the globalist nut jobs, cranks, incompetence and fools uh, that are out there right now. And of course, I'm thinking like, for instance, the people in our own government uh, that conduct the policy of the United States um, in a way that is, is actually destructive of the American people. Unfortunately, that's, that's just the way things are done now. That's just how we roll. And that's how most of the world rolls. And I suppose that probably, to a large degree, maybe not exclusively, but to a large degree, traces itself back to the activities of the Roman Catholic Church. So, anyway, Viktor Orban, I say it's going to, there, uh, there's a big election in, in Hungary on the 3rd. And let's see, here's a headline. It says, Ukraine war overshadows Hungary's election as Orban seeks fourth term. Now, this particular story, I want to just read a little bit of it here. It's called N-World is is the name of the news organization. I'm not really familiar with them, but just listen to the. I'm going to read through just a little bit of this and just listen to the language that they use to describe Viktor Orban. Quote, Hungarians will go to the polls Sunday in an election overshadowed by the war in neighboring Ukraine as strongman leader Viktor Orban tries to turn the conflict to his advantage despite his usually friendly relations with Moscow. After 12 years in power, during which critics say Hungary has turned into an increasingly flawed democracy, the conservative Mr. Orban is facing his closest race yet after six opposition parties banded together to name a single challenger. The opposition has seized on a stinging intervention by Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, in which he bluntly told Mr. Orban to decide which side he was on, to portray the Prime Minister as a stooge of the Kremlin. Mr. Orban in turn tells voters that the left-wing parties would drag the country into a war that his government is staying as far away from as possible by refusing to ship weapons to Ukraine or block fossil fuel imports from Russia. The answer to the question of where Hungary stands is that Hungary is on Hungary's side, said Mr. Orban, who brushed off Mr. Zelensky's swipe as the theatrics of a former actor. The usually migrant skeptic Mr. Orban has also used Hungary's acceptance of more than 360,000 refugees from Ukraine to counter his government's image as a problem child of Europe. The polling chose Mr. Orban with a narrow but persistent lead over the opposition front. But challenger Peter Marquise accuses the ruling uh, Fidesz party of dirty tricks to secure a fourth term. Well, anyway, <laughs> enough of that stuff. But, but it's so interesting to see the language that you, that the, that's used to describe uh, Viktor Orban. And kind of going back through, you know, he's described as a, as a strongman leader. And let's see, it, it also talks about uh, Hungary be, being viewed as an increasingly flawed democracy. He's described as a conservative. So, you know, he's, he's a very bad person. Uh, we're, we're told that he's, he's a very bad person. I mean, you, you definitely get that sense when you read through the story. Well, Victor Orban is not a very bad person. In fact, I, I think a lot of what he's done is heroic. and I'm glad he's doing what he's doing. I'm glad that Victor Orban has opposed burying Hungary in a flood of, of illegal migrants that will destroy that nation. He stood up for the Hungarian people. He should be congratulated. He's doing exactly what a, a civil magistrate should do. You know, there's two functions of the civil magistrate in uh, in the Bible. You know, there is uh, to punish those who practice evil and to reward the good. And by rewarding the good, you know, you, you pass laws that are in and uh, enforce laws that are in accord with the scriptures. And nowhere in the scriptures does it say that governments have the responsibility or even the right to sacrifice the well-being of their own people for foreigners. They don't have that responsibility. They do not have the right to do that. They don't have the right to take money from their own people and give it to foreigners. That is called theft. It's a violation of the Eighth Commandment. It's theft. They're stealing from their own people. And, of course, our government here in the United States steals from the American people all the time and gives us money to foreigners. In some, of the, in some cases, we're talking about foreigners crashing our borders. I mean, the American people have zero obligation to pay for anything for these people who are, are flooding into the country. And they need to go home. But uh, here's a this is a story here from the Washington Post talking further about uh, about uh, Orban despite Putin ties Hungary's Orban gains popularity before election <gasps> how could that possibly be despite that. And uh, so, he, so the story, I'll read a little bit of this here for you. It says, as recently, as recently as eight weeks ago, Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban was cozying up to Russian President Vladimir Putin in Moscow, trading quips at a joint news conference and defending Russia's security demands as normal. Well, I think Russia's security demands have been pretty normal. Uh, that's a whole other story. I don't want to get into that too much right now. But yes, you know, the, the, the whole, as, as far as I'm concerned, the vast majority if not the entire cause, blame for what's going on in Ukraine right now, lies at the feet of the U.S. State Department. They wanted this war, and, and they pushed this war deliberately. As I said, that's kind of another story. But uh, here's what uh, Orban said. He says, I have, quote, I have, I have good hopes that for many upcoming years we can work together. He's talking about, uh, talking about uh, Orban was talking about Putin. Uh, in what, by his next count, was their 12th meeting. In the wake of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, it's quickly become dangerous to have a warm relationship with Putin. But Orban is the exception. He's angered his neighbors and triggered hawkish, harsh blowback from Ukrainian leaders for what they see as a wishy-washy reaction to the war. Yet by portraying himself domestically as a steady hand navigating between larger world powers, he's gained ground on the political opposition in Hungary and increased his odds of winning a fourth consecutive term as prime minister in a parliamentary election Sunday. That would allow Orban to remain his position, maintain his position as Europe's anti-immigration strongman provocateur. Now, now see, again, you know, we're talking about language. Be aware of language when you're reading news stories. This is one of, this is a really important point. Whenever you're reading news stories, pay attention to the language. He's Europe's anti-immigration strongman provocateur. No, that's not what he is. What he is, is he is a prime minister who actually takes seriously his duty to ensure the uh, legitimate best interests of his own people. He doesn't feel that he has the right to give away Hungary, to give away the property of Hungarians to the rest of the world just to satisfy the globalists. You know, Victor Orbán is doing the right thing and he should be congratulated for this. But I mean when you read through the Washington Post, which of course is a globalist newspaper, a lot of people think it's the mouthpiece of the CIA. I think that's probably true. But you know he he's he's not some uh some crazy person, he's not some uh, some autocrat, he's not some strong man. He is an elected prime minister. He's duly elected to his post. And the Hungarians keep voting him back into power, so you know maybe the Hungarians like what he's doing. That's just, that that just may be possible. I know that just bugs the living daylights out of people like the uh, people at the Washington Post, but I, I think that it's true. You know, in fact, Tucker Carlson did a story on on Hungary this past week, and, and this is uh, what Tucker Carlson said. He said, "This is quoting him quote Why are they Why are they trying to tell us Hungary is a hellscape?" Maybe because Hungary's government self-consciously tries to serve the needs of its own people. And if you see that there might, if you see that here, you might ask, why is my government not doing that for me? Well, that's a very good question that Tucker asked. Why is the, why is the American government not self-consciously trying to serve the needs of the American people? That's a really good question. Well, because they're not, I mean, very obviously they're not doing that. So, you know, whose interests are they serving and why are they serving those interests? Very good question. Very good question indeed. One thing that's interesting too here, and this is a story that continuing on with uh, Viktor Orban, this is a story from back in November of 2021. It has a headline here it says, As Joe Biden snubs Hungary, Viktor Orban fears election interference. And It starts off here, it says, The Hungarian government has expressed concern that the U.S. may try to interfere in its elections after the Biden administration declined to invite the country to a summit on democracy. Yeah, I think that that's a very wise, uh, very uh, perceptive, um, very perceptive statement by the Hungarian government. It continues here, Foreign Minister Peter... Uh, and forgive me if I'm not pronouncing this name correctly, but Peter Sijarto uh, said on Thursday that he believed the U.S. would use the Magnitsky, Magnitsky Act to impose sanctions on Hungarian officials before the parliamentary election in April. Now, I don't know if that's happened or not. I don't recall hearing that that has happened, but he was suggesting that. But, of course, there are also other ways that the, that the United States could interfere in the Hungarian election. And, of course, I, I think that that's a perfectly legitimate concern because, of course, the, the deep state uh, here in the United States interfered in the election in 2020. I mean, they stole that election for Joe Biden. So would, would you expect the Biden regime to, to try to interfere in the election and in the Hungarian elections? Yeah, it's, I think it's a real possibility. And if they do try to do that, well, I, I, I pray that they fail completely. And let's see here. Oh and uh, one last story there's just like I say there's so much going on right now goodness. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the, the situation with Disney. You know, maybe you've you followed some of this stuff in Florida you know they, they signed that uh, that anti-grooming bill you know where they, uh, the uh, prohibiting the Florida schools from teaching kids about uh, about all this really perverted uh, sexual transgender stuff that's going on right now. And of course, you know the the left has completely lost their lunch over all of this. I mean, the the screaming and the wailing and weeping and gnashing of teeth from the uh, from the liberals from the the homosexual lobby has just been off the charts. And uh, of course, Disney, the evil Disney Corporation, and Disney, the Disney is an evil corporation. I mean, everything they do, it seems like, is just promoting evil continually. And here's a headline here and it says, Disney condemns Florida's don't say gay law, says bill should never have been passed. The Walt Disney Company is now vowing to help repeal the controversial legislation after previously saying it remained silent on the matter. Well, they've, they've gone and they've opened up a whole can of worms. And of course, Disney, it's kind of interesting. They've, they've got, Disney seems to have uh, a lot of problems with employees who are getting involved in, in various types of grooming things. In fact, there was a tweet that I found by this fellow named Luke Rodkowski. And he says, seems Disney has a very serious groomer problem. And he cites all of these news stories here over the last, I don't know if over the last year or just maybe over the last few years. And I'll read a few of these headlines to you. Four Walt Disney World employees arrested an undercover human trafficking scheme. There's One. Next one, three employees of Walt Disney World arrested a major child sex sting in Florida. That's from 2021. Disney security guard shows up buck naked to human trafficking sting, 124 arrested sheriff says. I think that was a couple years ago. Fourth one, theme park employees caught in sex stings, child porn arrests. Uh, That goes back to 2014. Uh, Florida child sex sting nets former workers from Disney, SeaWorld, and Universal Studios. That's from 2015. Child porn investigation. Disney World, Legoland employees among 11 arrested. That's 2018. And Walt Disney World employee tried to arrange sex with 8-year-old girl, uh, according to the Department of Justice. And that's, uh, looks like, is that 2019 maybe? Anyway, so those are just, uh, that's seven quick headlines right there. Front, highlighting some of the uh, uh, dirty deeds that have been done by by Disney employees and some really nasty stuff, you know. And of course, you you tend to wonder when you see things like that. Okay, um, what don't we know about? You got to suspect there's probably a whole lot more going on that hasn't been been made public. So yeah, Disney has a, a bit of a problem with that. And one of the things that's uh, kind of set off a bit of an uproar this past week. In addition to just Disney coming out and saying that they're going to try to work to repeal that law, there was a, a – uh, well, I'll just read the headline here. It says, Disney exec vows more gay characters amid huge inclusivity push. And uh, there's an interview with this woman here. It says, uh, a Disney executive – uh, it says a Disney executive vowed more inclusivity in its productions as the entertainment giant works to make underrepresented groups such as racial minorities in the LGBTQ community account for at least 50% of its regular characters by the end of the year. Carrie Burke, president of Disney's general entertainment content, said the company must do more to make its content more inclusive in a company-wide Zoom call Monday that was later posted to Twitter. I'm here as a mother of two queer children, actually. Burke said on the call, one transgender child and one pansexual child, and also as a leader. Well, maybe what she needs to do is quit her high-powered job and go home and be a mother to her family and pray and ask God's forgiveness for her bad parenting that's led to this and seek to try to do something to repair the damage. But, of course, you know, she's, uh, I guess she enjoys, uh, you know, the... uh The whole uh, feminist thing. She wants to be a big wheel executive, and on top of that, then she wants to uh, to not uh, to celebrate, you know, the fact that that her children, that her two children, are engaged in behavior that will send them to hell forever. And and that's just the truth. That's that's not trying to be nasty. I'm not trying to be mean to people. Uh, I know that maybe sounds oh, that's really judgmental. Well, you know, it it is a judge. Yeah, it's judgmental. But as Christians, we're called to judge with righteous judgment. And the Word of God completely condemns this kind of behavior. I mean, her children are in, dan- are in very serious danger, and they need to repent. You know, not be celebrated, not be affirmed, they need to repent of their sins. The article that goes on the talk talk here. Um, I guess there's going to be a a Toy Story spinoff called Lightyear. I guess it's going to what feature Buzz Lightyear, you know the the astronaut character from the the Toy Story movies. And I, I, it says here there's a a photo a picture and it. it's got a caption. It says Disney has reportedly reinstated a gay kiss in the upcoming Toy Story spinoff Lightyear. Um, you know, I, I can't help but conclude. Just Disney is, as I said earlier, just Disney is an evil company. And you know, I put something about this on Facebook this last uh, this last week, I had a, a Facebook friend of mine. He he made some comment. He says, "Yeah, this stuff was going on decades ago," and of course, he was right. I mean, I seem to remember rumblings about this kind of thing even as far back as maybe the the nineties, maybe even the eighties. So, it this kind of stuff has been bubbling up. Uh, in the Disney Corporation for many decades now, but it seems like it's really just gone next level. I mean, it's really come out in the open big time. And in fact, it was kind of interesting, there was a a Twitter thread that was uh, out there this past week, I guess you might call it more of a rant by Abigail Disney. Now, Abigail Disney is the grandniece of Walt Disney. Her father, her grandfather was Roy Disney, who was Walt Disney's brother. And Roy Disney was, uh, was a co-founder of, of, of the Disney corporation, Walt Disney corporation. So she's one of the family members. I looked her up. She was, uh, had been, she's got a very, uh, elite education. Uh, see, she went to Yale and to Stanford. And I believe she got a PhD in philosophy from, uh, from Columbia. Interestingly enough, Columbia is like woke central. Uh, Columbia is where the, uh, the Frankfurt School uh, people came over from Germany in the 1930s and 40s and 1950s. So the uh, Columbia University is actually sort of the, the epicenter of wokeness in the United States. Because it was these these people the, these people from the Frankfurt School that developed critical theory, which has undergirded so much of uh, w- which is basically the intellectual underpinnings of the entire woke agenda. We we're talking about critical race theory, we we're talking about women's studies, we we're talking about um, you know, the uh, the homosexual agenda. Uh, all of this stuff can be traced back to the work of the uh, the Frankfurt School and their their critical theory. So it's interesting that she went to uh, to Columbia University. But without going too far into that, I just wanted to read a little bit of it here. She says, like all radical ideologues, the right wing has finally run amok and is coming to devour the hand that feeds it, business. For my part, I am delighted. It is the business world that has been, either by act or omission, feeding the opportunist right wing to distract, let's see, us with culture war nonsense while they rifle through the till and empty everyone's pockets. This anti-woke, right wing nonsense is unsupported by a large majority of Americans. In fact, most Americans are offended by it and wish they would it would just go away. Well, um, yeah, you know, I, I certainly don't know that <laughs> I, I would very much you know, she she wants to talk about, you know, people who oppose all of this this wokeness from corporations like Disney is biting in the hand that feeds it. And in the hand that feeds um you know she calls them right wing. I mean I, I would simply say Christians. You know, let's say, no, well, maybe not, not, not everybody that's opposed to this is Christians, but certainly Christians are opposed to this as well. They should be. And, and she says that somehow business is the hand that, that feeds us. Well, no, I mean, uh, American corporations have become incredibly hostile to the Bible, uh, to the scriptures, to, to anything Christian. And, and in fact, uh, most, it seems like a, a pretty high percentage of American corporations are pretty actively opposed to Christian ideas uh disney certainly just being one uh, perhaps certainly a premier example of this now she talks about all this opposition to this this anti-woke anti-woke right-wing nonsense as she calls it is unsupported by a large majority of americans i don't know i mean she says that i mean she asserts that she doesn't provide any any kind of proof for that um, you know, it's a Twitter, Twitter rant of sorts, but I, I don't know that a large majority of Americans oppose that. I, I know that certainly there is a significant segment of the population maybe that thinks that, that this stuff, uh, uh, you know, that say the gay agenda is okay, but there are a lot of people who don't think it's okay. I don't know what those numbers are and I don't uh, intend to dive into it right now, but she seems to assert pretty, uh, pretty dogmatically that, that most people think that, uh, that the whole gay agenda is just awesome. And uh, I'm not so sure about that. I mean, what I wish would go away, actually, is all the woke agenda, uh, to tell you the truth. So let's see here. She continues. You need two things to rule with a minority. First, you need to be constantly looking for fresh meat to throw to the minions to keep them riled up all the time. That works until the herd thins. So now they've come... uh, for American business. Well, no, actually American businesses come for uh come for us. I mean, it's absolutely shocking some of the complete bilge water that that comes out of uh, major American corporations. You know, you you've got this this uh this woman uh, that one of that executive up there and saying, "Yeah, we want to have 50% of all the the uh the characters in Disney films either be, you know, minority or LGBT or maybe both." I don't know. And, you know, you just want to get in the, you know, Disney seems to want to get into the face of people and thought, thought shape them. But, you know, somehow it's, it's, you know, it's, it's conservatives, it's Christians, it's people of this sort that are coming for business. No, it's the business that's coming for the people. You know, she doesn't seem to understand who's initiated these attacks. You know, it's, businesses, it's people from uh, these elite educational institutions, such as she attended, they're the ones that are driving this stuff. I think most Americans simply like to just be left alone and be able to go about their lives. But, you know, this uh, people like Abigail Disney won't let them do that. And then they get upset when people say, hey, you know, push back on this. And she talks here, but the second thing you need to rule with a minority is money. Lots of it. Well, I mean, first of all, who? I, I mean, who is in charge and who, who is who's ruling the country? It's woke people like Abigail Disney. It's not people who oppose the entire gay rights agenda. They don't rule anything. I mean, the Abigail Disneys of the world, they run all of the schools. They run the universities. They run the businesses. They run the government. They run the media, the entertainment industry. There's not one single major organ of, uh, of American society that's on the side of those who oppose the kind of moral garbage that Abigail Disney wants to dump on the American people. I, I guess you might have said at one time, maybe the military, but the military's gone, gone woke. You might even say evangelical churches, well, evangelical churches are in the process of going woke. Yeah, but she wants to sit here and tell, say say that somehow that the people that oppose this stuff are ruling. I, I, I just, I find that just absolutely stunning. And I don't know if she really actually believes that or not, but she is very much deceived if so. But yeah, she goes on, this is like a dozen or more tweet rant. Oh, goodness. Anyway. So that's enough of that. But that's, that's, uh, that's Abigail Disney for you. So anyway, I think that's, uh, I've been here about an hour, which is longer than I thought I was going to be able to go. I, I guess once I get started on this stuff, I just can't keep my mouth shut. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, well, thanks so much for listening. And, and like I say, there's so much out there that's so discouraging. But, you know, as, as Christians, you know, we know we have the right man on our side man of God's own choosing. And, and that's the thing, one of the things that we need to be be aware of. You know, we're not fighting this battle on our own. We've got a, a lot of very powerful forces lined up against us. We've got uh, a lot of bad things going on. But God is faithful, and, and he is, is good to his people. And we have to stand strong uh, on the word of God. And I don't know exactly how things are going to work out. I don't know how all this stuff's going to end. But I do know that whatever purposes people like Abigail, Disney, the people who hate Victor Orban have in mind, that ultimately it's going to work for the good of God's people, for those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. So that's all for tonight. Thanks again so much for listening. I appreciate that. Until next time, may the spirit of truth guide you in all truth as you read and study God's word.